0: Good morning. good morning. Continuing our study today in First Corinthians chapter nine, and we'll look at the last half of that chapter this morning. Have some good discussion questions this morning, also. We'll begin by reading the scripture and then we'll look at our summary statement that I hope you've had time to spend some time on it and develop a three or four sentence summary of this passage now beginning here let's remember that Paul is talking about giving up certain rights that he has as both an apostle and as a Christian he has freedom in Christ liberty in Christ to do certain things but he is voluntarily giving those things up and he's telling us about that here now he ended in last week with verse 14 in chapter 9 In the same way, he said, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, he's talking about the fact that he, as a minister of the gospel, as an apostle, has a right to expect support from those to whom he ministers. But he's going to tell us that he does not exercise that right. He gives it up, and he explains it here. And that has some ramifications for us as well as how we look at the, at the liberty that we have in Christ. And we looked at that beginning last week, some too. But let's read this passage, and then we'll spend the rest of the time discussing it. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are great beyond our understanding. You are the transcendent creator of all things. You are incomprehensible to us in the perfection of your righteousness and your holiness in your goodness, in your mercy, in your love. You are above and outside of your creation, and yet you have deigned to be near us, and you have provided for our lack of comprehension by giving us the revelation of yourself. In creation itself, as we see your Godhead, but especially in your special revelation of giving us your word and your word speaks to us your word teaches us those things about you that we need to know those things about you that we need to know in order to please you and father I pray now that as we enter into this time of discussion of your word that you would open our understanding that you would be our guide that you would help us to comprehend these things that you have set forth here for us to know that we need to know and that we need to so order our lives to obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's begin by looking at our summary statement. Who had an opportunity to write one that they'd like to share with us? Three or four sentences. Am I going to have to do it? Edward? I didn't do what this Okay. You're my fail-safe. Okay, well, let's look at, at what I have written here. You all come up with much better ones than I do. Four sentences here. Since Paul is compelled by God's will... Preaching cannot be grounds for boasting. So his boasting, his reward, comes from relinquishing his right to support and preaching the gospel free of charge. Even though he possesses the same freedom in Christ as all believers, he considers himself a servant to Jews, Gentiles, and those of weak conscience, conforming himself to those under the law and those outside the law so he might save some he compares his practice to athletes running a race for a worldly prize but his prize is eternal he preaches with purpose and discipline so he may finish the race well and not be himself disqualified so wonderful passage that gives us some insight into the heart and mind and the practice of the Apostle Paul as he traveled around the known world of that day, preaching the gospel and planting churches, and was probably more responsible than any other of those uh, folks in the first century who were, who were doing that in spreading the, the gospel of Jesus Christ across that, uh, that empire. Of that time. And so as we look at it, we're going to see a number of things there about Paul's boasting. Now, boasting that Paul is talking about here is not the kind of boasting where we take the glory away from God for something and put it upon ourselves. When we talk about pride, for example, there's a good pride and there's a bad pride. It's usually bad, but sometimes it's good. We like to Talk about taking pride in the work that we do, and we're not necessarily taking away if we're if we're believers we're acknowledging that God is the one who who assists us and helps us and make it possible for us to do whatever our undertaking is but at the same time we receive joy and blessing from having done our work well and being diligent at it and so I think that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about his boasting and his reward in the way in which he ministers and the rights that he has that he has voluntarily given up and then he has this wonderful passage about athletes and not boxing against the air he's implying there i'm boxing for real i train my body i have purpose and i have discipline and that's a wonderful insight into how paul went about his ministry but that's also a great insight for how we ought to go about living the Christian life as well, with purpose and with discipline. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. So let's look at discussion question number one. What does Paul mean when he says necessity is laid upon me in 9.16? 9.16 says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting for necessity is laid upon me woe to me if i do not preach the gospel so what does he mean there by saying that necessity is laid upon me and i gave you some other verses there some really striking verses i think especially the amos verse we'll talk about that in a moment but right now who has the answer to what does he mean by necessity is laid upon me brendan Uh,
1: paul is saying that he's been called to Liberty does not do it because it's been put upon by the
0: Lord. Yes, he has a commission from God to do this work. he cannot not do it. And I think we see that very clearly that not only in Paul's life but in the, the life of the Old Testament prophets as we look at that Amos passage, Necessity was laid upon them because this was a communication and a commission from God that they do this work and so they are doing it because they cannot do anything other than that. So let's look at some of those verses. Now I think Amos three eight is just a striking uh, th- this rings the bell for me as far as explaining this idea of necessity being laid upon someone. Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So we had this comparison here between being afraid of being confronted by a roaring lion, who's not going to be afraid of that? And that's compared to the Lord God having spoken And the necessity, just like the the fact that you cannot escape being afraid of that roaring lion that's about to eat you, you can't escape the fact that God has spoken, and you must prophesy, you must speak, you must preach, because God has said to do that. Now, that's striking to me in part because I spent some time in Africa about 35 years ago in Tanzania, and there are lions and other things that eat you there. Not so much around where I was because it was more built up. But I stayed in the, in the compound at the Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center uh, for the expatriates that were living there. And I stayed in a house from missionaries who were on furlough. But in the evenings, I had to walk down the back alley behind some of the houses and on one side were the backs of houses. On the other side was Africa, where things live. And I went for supper at the home of the Eshelmans, a wonderful Mennonite couple that fed me every night. When I finished and went back to the house that I was staying in, it was dark, and I had to. And there were no light, no street lights, so I had to walk down that back alley. To get to the house and it seemed like it was forever and it was a scary journey to walk down there it took five minutes i had two flashlights one pointed ahead and one pointed behind <laughs> so i could make sure that that nothing was going to come i don't know what i would have done if i would if something had come to throw my flashlight at him i guess but that that's a wonderful illustration of the of the fact that that the prophets and the apostles and a true minister of the gospel today, for that matter, cannot get away from the fact that they have been commissioned by God. Uh, as, As you would fear in the face of a roaring lion, you preach because God has laid a necessity upon you. Wonderful verse. Acts 4.20 For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is John and Peter before the Sanhedrin. And they have been called before the Sanhedrin because they're preaching. And the uh, and the Pharisees and the and the members of the Sanhedrin don't like that. So they're telling them, stop it. And Peter says, but we can't stop it. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In Acts 9, 6, this is the account of Paul's Paul on the Damascus Road and his encounter of, with Christ there. And Christ says to him, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And indeed he was told, wasn't he? He was commissioned, and he was taught by Christ personally. And he had to fulfill that commission. Necessity had been laid upon him. Romans 1.14 Paul speaking again, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He is under an obligation because of this necessity that has been laid upon him. And then 1 John 1 and verses 1 and 3. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, having known Christ in the way that he did, having been commissioned by Christ in the way that he was, that he says, that which we have seen and heard of the word of life, we must preach. We must tell you also. So some wonderful verses here, I think, that help us to have insight into what it means to have necessity laid upon you by a commission from God. Yes. Well, I, I don't know if you didn't include Jonah. Reason to things slightly different but I think of Jonah who is commissioned and tried to run away and he was forced back. <laughs> right. that's a good that's a good point. He said, I don't want to do this and he got on, a, on the boat and that did not turn out well, did it now in the end it did because uh, after getting swallowed by can you imagine getting swallowed by one a, a whale it was a big fish it was some sort of fish and the the fish vomited in him out on the beach finally and then he realized that necessity was laid upon him <laughs> and, and he did what god had commissioned him to do so thank you that's a good but point what, what were his
2: first words when the fish spit him out which was none of them oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah he had time to think. <laughs> probably a good place to do some
0: thinking belly of a fish discussion question number two then in 921 what does Paul mean when he says he is willing to become as one outside the law in order to win those outside the law now let me read 921 for us to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So when he says that, that he becomes as one outside the law in order to win those outside the law, and then he goes on to say, he is willing to become all things to all people. Now, does this, and and this is used as an excuse. I've heard people use this as an excuse for doing things they shouldn't be doing, for, for actually sinning. And they said, well, I'm, I'm trying to reach people. So does this mean that Paul was willing to sin along with the Gentiles in order to have the opportunity to win them to Christ? Is that what it means?
1: Um, you know, like my interpretation of it was that he was willing to go outside not uh, like the laws of his faith of Christ, but laws of the, I guess, in the worldly laws. Okay. The social war
0: raids at the time. Yeah. I'm sorry? I said the social war raids. Okay, um, yes. Yeah, a friend of mine who was a missionary
2: said he, he, would, also, he would liken himself to a, he called a rice bowl missionary, where that no matter where you went, whatever was served to you, you ate thankfully and joyfully. You didn't say, I don't
0: do this, I don't do that. I'd be more comfortable sitting in the chair versus the floor. You just sort of meet people where they are. Yes, no, that's, a, that's a good description of it. Again, when I was in Africa, I ate supper one night at the, at the bishop of Kilimanjaro, Lutheran bishop of Kilimanjaro's home, and, and he showed us his cows. He was more proud of his cows than anything. He had two cows and And that was his source of support. Uh, he didn't get much money from being a pastor in a lutheran church in in uh, Moshi, Tanzania, but he had cows and he could sell the milk and and then have some for himself and and we had dessert that had cream that he had made himself from his cows and I had been told, do not eat anything that you don't that you're not sure about while you're there. Uh, I ate the dessert that had his homemade cream on top of it, and I was fine. But uh, we we follow the mores of the of the culture that we're in without sinning. Uh, that's what Paul means here, I think, in when he has this parenthetical part in verse 21. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law and then in parenthesis not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ he's saying I'm not sinning in doing this but I'm conforming to it when I'm working among the Gentiles I behave as the Gentiles do other than the moral law I do not break the moral law in doing that but If they sit on the floor, if whatever they do, I do that. It's a neutral thing, but I don't impose my Jewishness upon them. I don't maintain the Jewish ceremonial laws of washings and so forth while I'm with the Gentiles. But when I'm with the Jews, I do. I become a Jew as to the Jews not in hypocrisy but because that's the way they do things and why offend them you want the opportunity to present the gospel but as far as sinning is concerned paul does not engage in that yes
2: so i've heard a uh, evangelist use this passage to say that the deacons in the narthex of the church should not have jackets and ties that the music should be contemporary that we should be seeker friendly, so that those in the in the community feel comfortable entering into the house of God.
1: How would you respond to that?
0: There are plenty of places like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> take
0: take your pick. We're not one of them. The no one, the one
2: seeks after God. God seeks after. God. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me just comment briefly on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Paul is not talking about stated worship services at all. I think mean, it's the first thing to keep in mind. He's talking about his apostolic ministry of evangelism, uh, and so it has nothing to do with the corporate worship service. corporate worship service is not actually for unbelievers. Sure, we invite them and want them to feel welcome, uh, but there should be a little bit of more because it is a different culture, because we are a different sort of people. Uh, but in our private witness, this is where this is primarily applied. As a disclaimer,
0: I do have on a jacket tie. Very good. That's a great point that our worship services aren't really, our worship services are for worshiping God and it's for God's people to worship. Everybody's welcome to come. The lost are welcome to come. We hope they do. We hope they hear the gospel, but we are worshiping the Lord God in a manner that behooves those who love the Lord and who honor Him by the way they dress and the way they talk and the way they act and the way they sing or don't sing. Okay. Dennis. I was going to ask you about the Paul and the
1: philosophers on Mars Hill. I think that's a, what an example that did this maybe because he was, he became a philosopher and I was thinking, did. Yeah. Supposition was using logic and reason; whatever are rationalists. Yes. Although I don't think that's good. It's going to do that. uh, we
0: don't. Yeah, they were they were very big on that kind of philosophy, and certainly Paul Paul did that, and he preached to them an unknown God, God that was unknown to them. Yes.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, to Paul as the example, you know, when he was he's got a call to the ministry to the Gentiles. So under rabbinical law, you're not supposed to be offered idols and things like that, right? But then he goes through the I have liberty and all that, like we talked before. And right. So in other words, like we heard from back here, somebody sits you down and you're going to serve you as something that you don't normally eat, but it's okay to, you know, I mean, but you don't want to offend them, so you want to, you know, you want to uh, be able to accommodate. You know, provided you're not breaking the moral law, right? Um, to be able to witness it as people, that's all he's doing is he's trying to build a relationship to open up doors to share the gospel.
0: Right. Very good. Anyone else have a comment?
2: But he, he settles it when he says, "Should we abide in sin that grace might abound?" The next words of God on the
0: Yeah. Very good. Okay. Let's look at discussion question number three. Here's a lexicon definition of disqualified in verse 27. Let me read 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. It's pretty strong language there that Paul says. He is fearful it seems here that after he has preached to others, he might be disqualified himself because of of the way in which he ministers. So he, he uh, here's the definition of disqualified. Not standing the test, not approved, that which does not prove itself such as it ought, unfit for, unproved, spurious, reprobate, a strong word. So was Paul right to be so concerned about being disqualified? I mean, he was a believer, right? Could he, could he wind up being reprobate, the meaning of that word? The, I guess the worst meaning of that word in the synonyms. Uh, Chuck?
2: Well, we see that a lot in our day not we? That people uh, bring this dishonor on Christ by living um, unrighteous lives. Uh, the famous example, you have a TV preacher Right, and he wastes his money, or he chases women, or he's sitting in a bar, getting drunk, different things you could do, but you do these in public, and it comes on, and you bring great dishonor. Okay. Even
0: believers know that's not kosher. I, I, I think you're right, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the purposes of the law is that it serves as a disincentive to evil even to the unbeliever. They may not have any regard for it, but nevertheless, there are warnings in Scripture, uh, warnings in the law, that there's punishment due for evil. And so that serves as a disinclination to, to evil. It serves as a protection for the righteous Again, with, with what the evil do against them, one of the purposes of the law. And certainly, that's, that's true. I was
1: just going to I thought it was, I guess it's, it's kind of unique in Paul's situation where we say that he was directly commissioned by God. It seems in that way that only God can directly disqual, call him to or proclaim kind of, But I but definitely understand that maybe you know, what, what his ministry should do ultimately honor that. But it's, it's, it's just unique in his definition. His, his,
0: Directly by God. right well is it right for Paul to be concerned about being disqualified I'm going to say yes it's right for him to be concerned the scriptures have warnings and threatenings when we studied Hebrews last year there are many warnings and threatenings in Hebrews who listens to the warnings in Scripture? The, the righteous, the, those who are saved. They listen. The other people don't care. They're not going to pay attention to the warnings and threatenings. They don't believe it's real. They don't believe it's of any importance at all. So yes, I think it's. this is one of the ways, I believe, that God puts into effect the perseverance of the saints is by the warnings in Scripture. Because who listens to that? Who pays attention to them? Who actually tries to so order their life that the warning does not apply to them? Saints. It's the perseverance of the saints. And this is one of the ways that God effects the perseverance of the saints. So yes, Paul should have been concerned. But he so ordered his life, as he goes on to say there, he so orders his life that that is not the case. He, he heeds that that warning against not being disqualified. And then the second question is, should we be? Should we be concerned? Yes, we ought to. And these warnings that we read in Hebrews and elsewhere in Scripture they're intended for us too. And if we're believers, we're going to so order our lives that that doesn't apply to us. We're going to do our best to become more and more Christ-like. This is one of the incentives to sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. So yes, these these are not fake warnings. They're real, Brendan.
1: I like your choice of word there, concerns. I think the tendency is for people to be anxious about these things. We certainly shouldn't be anxious about them. We should right. be concerned. We should be paying attention. We should be evaluating our lives regularly, whether we are running the purpose in the right direction, uh, that we are exercising self-control and self-discipline. Uh, but we're not to be anxious about these things.
0: Right, and we're not to be fearful. Uh, some people are fearful about that and and there's nothing here about being fearful or anxious about it because we so we we obey the warning we take heed to it we are concerned about it and we order our lives such that we conform to that warning and against that warning so if that's so if we should be concerned about that how does a christian engage in discipline that paul talks about here he says i I discipline my body. I keep it under control. How do we go about disciplining ourselves to avoid running aimlessly?
1: By flogging ourselves anytime we have an impure bug. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, um, <clears throat> the thing that I was thinking of is being part of the church community and fellow Christians to uh, hold ourselves accountable so that, in other words, you know, we get that feedback. Right. Or in we doing anything
0: that's, you know, very the path we should be on. Right. We, we, should, we should be in the company of God's people. That's why it's important not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We assemble together with other people whom we may not have anything in common with that we would associate with Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday we come to church and we are in the company of people who have one thing in common. They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and that transcends everything, all the other differences. We are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and that has an effect upon the way that we live our lives. And
1: following with that, one of the first questions we need to ask, Paul was called to be an apostle. He ran accordingly. And all the details of how he ran flow from his understanding of his call. Yeah, right. Likewise, as Christians, none of us are called to be apostles. Some of us are called to be pastors or ruling elders or deacons or church members, uh, fathers, mothers, etc. We, we need to have crystal clarity. Obviously, we're all called to be Christians, and then all of our other calls, whether a particular business, uh, location, uh, whatever it might be, family, location, we all have calls in our lives. We need to understand what those are. If we're going to run in those calls. Well, if we don't have the end state in mind, the target in mind, what we're
0: supposed to be doing. We're not going to be able to do it. Right. I, I like that. That that the activity that flows from that call is tied back to the call. That's that governs how you live your life as that call. Okay. So, Joe.
2: Yeah. One other thing too is I think you know, and David went through this too. Um, when you sin. Think of who you're offending. You know, the, the more we have the knowledge of God and his holiness, I think the more and more that is what Paul fears, is that he doesn't want to transgress against the very Lord and who has commissioned him and appointed
0: Right. Yes, and I would add to all of this uh, the means of grace. You should be involved diligently. Paul says here he disciplines, he has purpose in what he's doing. And we should approach the means of grace with purpose in mind. It's the hearing of the preaching, the reading, the study of God's word. It is prayer. It is attendance at the sacraments of of seeing a, a baby baptized and recognizing that this is a sign and seal of the covenant it reminds us of the covenant relationship that we are in and there is grace conveyed to us when we recognize the importance of that covenant relationship when we partake of the lord's supper same thing we are we are reminded and we we recognize what god has done again within the terms of the covenant relationship that we have with him and there is grace involved in in that recognition and that remembrance and it helps us to so order our lives uh, that that's sort of the foundation I guess for the for the for for the discipline and for the work of the Holy Spirit in us in in enabling us to become more and more like Christ the the activity of sanctification so Yes, we don't want to run aimlessly. We want to discipline and have purpose. So I keep saying I'm going to leave more time for doing the outline and going through the actual scripture passages, and I've left myself a couple of minutes again, but we'll eventually get there. Three points Paul's necessary commitment in verses 15 through 18, Paul's universal service in 19 through 23 and Paul's imperishable reward in verses 24 through 27. Let's look first of all at that necessary commitment, beginning in verse 15. Verse 15 says, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. It is Paul's giving up of his rights and not insisting upon his liberty in Christ. And we talked about that in detail last week about, about not pressing that, that point. And Paul says, I don't, I don't demand that I have my liberty and therefore I can behave however I want to as long as I don't transgress the, the moral law, the law of Christ. But his ground of boasting is in, in giving up the right that he genuinely has to expect support. And that's his boasting, or that's his blessing, or his hope, or his joy. And then there's a chosen reward in verse 15. Here's where he explains what his reward, his boasting truly is. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He has a necessary commitment. Necessity has been laid upon him, but he chooses to give up his, his genuine freedom as a Christian and as an apostle to accept support from the churches that he ministers to. The fact that he gives that up becomes his reward. Secondly, Paul's universal service in 19 through 23. He says he is a servant to all. He is free from all. He's not required to behave as the Gentiles do or as the Jews do or as those of weak conscience do, but he does so. So in in doing that, he becomes a servant to all of them. Again, not in a manner that would involve any Sin or violation of God's moral law. He does that, he says in verse 23, for the sake of the gospel. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul wants to share in the blessing of the gospel by preaching the gospel to them, by seeing God work miraculously in their hearts and minds to regenerate them, and they accept the gospel. And he shares in that blessing with them. And then finally, Paul's imperishable reward. He compares what he's doing, his practice in his ministry here, to a race and to athletes who run that race. And he says those athletes run for a perishable reward, a wreath. Now his allusion here is to the Isthmian Games. Remember, we talked about that back at the beginning of our study in 1 Corinthians. That was a big deal. The, The Olympics were the big athletic event. The number two event was the Isthmian Games. And people came from all over the empire in order to see those games. So there was an influx of people when the games were taking place. It was a big deal. The reward for winning one of the contests in that game was a wreath. It was made, first of all, out of pine, and then they changed it later and made it out of celery. I'm not making this up. They made it out of celery. Now, I'm aware that celery plant has plant parts that you can make a wreath out of, but when I heard that, I couldn't help but think about somebody with a bag of celery from Harris Teeter sitting on top of their head from having won the race. But they made, they made a wreath out of celery leaves and stalks and whatnot, not the parts you crunch on. But that was a perishable wreath, wasn't it? How long does a wreath made out of celery last? Maybe until the afternoon, maybe till the next day you get to wear that, and then it starts to wilt. Paul says, my reward is an imperishable reward. It is eternal. I have far more reason to practice the discipline and the practice and to put my body under than any earthly athlete striving toward an earthly reward might have. So we have the race and its reward. And then in verses 26 and 27, the race and its purpose. Let me read that in 26 and 27. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, I have a purpose in what I'm doing. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. He orders his life. It's a purposeful life. Aimed t- toward pleasing God, aimed toward fulfilling that necessity that has been laid upon him. Do we have such a necessity? Well, T's do and R's do, R'ps do too, regular people, uh, Regular R'C's, regular Christians. They have a necessity laid upon them as well. And no less than Paul. We should discipline ourselves, discipline our bodies, keep it under control, lest by preaching or lest by living before others, lest by communicating the gospel to our friends and our families, we should wind up being disqualified. And we pay attention to that warning of Scripture, and we so order our lives that that's not going to happen to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, wonderful passage. I pray that you would uh, bring it up throughout the coming week, bring it to our memories. Help us, Father, to live our lives in such a way that we fulfill the commission that's been given to each of us. And we so order our lives that we become more and more like Christ every day. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.